Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Believe in Betting Chicago. My name is Joey Christopoulos. Today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. And look, BetOnline, it's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. They've got news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's also free to sign up. So what are you waiting for? Head to the website, BetOnline.ag, and use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's right, only at BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for coming into the pod today. I'm so excited to have this guest on here today. He graced me with his presence when I was able to come on while he was hosting WGN's Legal Faceoff. He does work for them. He's also the radio play-by-play man for the Kane County Cougars. It's Joe Brand. Hello, Joe. Joey, how's it going? Thanks for having me. Oh, it's going great, man. So great to have you on. Um, let's just give the listeners a quick, a quick background of just, you know, that moment when maybe you fell in love with sports that passion that kind of brought you all the way through your career to WGN and Kane County Cougars. How did it get started, Joe? Uh, well, I was, I was a terrible athlete. That's basically <laughs> how it started. Um, yeah, I, I grew up loving baseball and I was awful at it. And, what was your uh, best sport? Was baseball your best? If you had to put one on there? I really, I really didn't, uh, not until I didn't have one until high school. I played volleyball for a couple of years. Nice. But even then, I was the most improved player, both freshman and sophomore year. So uh, that's still a record at my high school. I just I had a real low bar and, and kind of moved up a little bit. But uh, yeah, that was that was the only sport I guess I was kind of talented at. Baseball, I played first. I loved to play defense. I was a horrible hitter. I could you were a scoopsman, hit. a scoopsman at first. Yeah, you like yeah doing? I, was, I was really good at jumping up. I was tall. I, I still am kind of tall. So I was good at jumping up scooping is what I kind of learned how to do a little bit better, but I'll never forget the first time I saw a curveball. I jumped out of the batter's box and the crowd just laughed at me and I'll never forget that. I'll never forget just the anxiety I felt that day. I don't, I don't blame you, man. Uh, I was a hunt. I was hunting fastballs all through high school and when they started throwing the yakker a little bit, yeah, the the knees and the shoulders just kind of turned into some sort of worm like dance. And I, uh, I couldn't hang. And eventually, next thing I know, I was uh, I was in a theater class uh, doing shows yeah. on stage. That's kind of what happened to me. But obviously, you fell in love with sports and you had a passion for it. You kept it going. Just tell us a little bit of the journey all the way up to Kane County Cougars. I'm just so interested. It's such a cool gem in terms of, I mean, the Chicagoland area, the Illinois area to be able to have, you know, that prof- that, you know, semi-professional team there. Yeah, no, I, I'm incredibly lucky um i've been wanting to broadcast baseball games since i was 10 and i am doing that now and uh, i'm able to do it at home and that's the biggest thing um i basically lived in chicago my whole life i, I grew up in the south suburbs uh, of oakland but i mean my high school was technically in chicago i went to illinois state down in bloomington normal uh you know central illinois so i lived there for four years and then right when I graduated, I got a baseball broadcasting internship, which was 10 minutes away from my parents' house. That was unbelievable. Um, and midway through the year, there was a broadcaster in the league for another team up in Michigan leaving. And they asked if I could finish out the season as the number one. And I pounced on that opportunity. So I lived up in Traverse City, Michigan for three months. And then the following year, I uh, I got the internship with the Kane County Cougars under Wayne Randazzo, and that was so big for my career. Um, you know, learning under Wayne on a daily basis, he's he's one of the best. 
And uh, it was just incredible the opportunity it became because the year I got there, he got hired full time with the score. So he was gone for two thirds of the season. Um, so I got a lot of games under my belt. But when he was there, I was learning from one of the best and I, I traveled with the team. And Joey, the team was unbelievable. It's crazy because it was it was the last year the Cougars were affiliated with the Cubs. We had Kyle Schwarber on the team. Oh man, he sat he sat behind me on the bus. Um, this team was flawless, and it turned out they ended up being one of the best teams ever in minor league history. Uh, they finished with 98 wins. They had the best winning percentage in all of baseball that year. They swept through the playoffs. They didn't lose one playoff game, and I got a ring. And uh, it, it was it was a lot of fun. Um, everyone kept everyone kept saying they're like, you know, just so you know, this doesn't always happen. It doesn't always happen. <laughs> You're um, like, um, I think I can get used to this. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah, but uh, but no, I mean that that's basically the baseball side of it. Um, I did get an internship with WGN Radio right out of college. Uh, I was I was the intern for the morning show. Uh, just stuck around there. I got an internship with sports. Then I became a producer. And then just hung around there for a couple of years, but I, I still did both. You know, I, I knew I wanted to be on the air. I knew I wanted to call games, uh, but I wanted to keep my foot in the door at WGN radio just because of the opportunities that those present. And, uh, you know, it, it just kind of worked out that way. I, I was able to part-time there. I was able to part-time with Kane County. I, I went from producing Blackhawks games to reporting Blackhawks games. And, uh, you know, it's, it's unfortunate because of obviously everything that's going on with COVID, but, uh, I haven't been at the United Center since it all went down. And that was one of my favorite parts of the gig was going to every home Blackhawks game and being being a part of the radio broadcast. It wasn't on the air, but anytime I found something interesting, I'd give it to John Weideman. You know, I'd, I'd search for little tidbits throughout the game, things like that. And then, you know, I'd help out the broadcast that way. And then when the game was over, you go in the clubhouse, you get sound from the players, you go to the coach's room, you get sound from him and then you bring it all to the post game host you play the sound and then every once in a while we would host a podcast after that it was just it was a real fun routine and uh it's, it was real cool to be a part of i'm still doing it on a, on a smaller basis chris bowden and i are still doing the podcast uh you know they're all still doing the radio broadcast on their own but um you know it's that's that's where i eventually want to be is is a major league or professional broadcast booth somewhere in sports at that's the end goal for me. Um, so to like get a little taste of how it works, at least on the NHL side, it's, it's pretty cool. And, uh, you know, hopefully chipping away at it on my own on, on the minor league side. Well, dude, congratulations. First of all, for all the hard, hard work and how far you've come. Um, you know, you were just kind of mentioning, you know, you said that you, you hate it. You were terrible at sports, but look, man, when you're talking about that producing level, you know, you're on a team, man, you're chipping in, right. You got to go in there. You got to play a couple minutes. You know, I'm crossing sports here, but if you got to box somebody out and grab a couple of boards, or if you got to lay down a bunt or whatever, that's what you got to do. Dude, there's so many things I want to hit off of what you just said. First of all, Traverse City, beautiful place. One of my closest friends got married there. So I've been around the lake all the way or, or whatever, you know, the, the 360 of it. Absolutely beautiful place. And you mentioned uh, Wayne Randazzo, who was, who was gracious and generous enough to come on the pod a little while ago yeah. and a really cool guy. Um, and really generous with his time. And if I dare say myself, myself, like out of a compliment, you guys almost have the same register. Uh, your, your registers of your voice are almost very similar. And we were talking about his first job there 
was he was delivering pizzas down in Kane County at this Italian. It was like Italian. I can't remember the name of it. Italian dreams. Italian dreams. Thank you very much. And can you just confirm or deny? Because I think he was being humble. Is the pizza good? Is it worth it? Is it worth the stop? Or where are we at on that? You know what? Honestly, that's his stomping grounds. Uh, I, I grew up on the south side. He, he's from over there in that area, so I, I cannot confirm nor deny that. Um, but listen, if, if the Wayne, mystery continues, if, if Wayne Randazzo gives it the stamp of approval, I'm pretty sure it's good pizza. So I'll leave it at that. But uh, no, well, well, thank you about the the Wayne compliment. Um, I've definitely heard that before, and I, I don't disagree with people, um, but I also think like. Wayne could be one of the best broadcasters when, when his career is all said and done, he, he could very well be one of the best that there ever was, but um, it's just, it's his ability to just jump into a game and, and totally understand the severity of where the game's at and totally portray that to the listener. It's uh, it's a, it's a very good thing. Jeff Joniak does the radio mm. announcer for the Chicago bears. It just like, you could almost be speaking a different language but by the tenacity of their voices, you understand how serious of a moment in the game that it is. And Wayne is just a clever guy. He's a witty guy and he's a good guy. I mean, he, he was great to me. He really was. And uh, I definitely take anyone comparing me and him as a huge compliment. But I think the main thing is, is like I said, it was, it was such a big part of my career. And it was just that age. You know, I was a year out of college and I was really starting to learn my craft. And I had just learned so much from him. I think I just kind of grabbed a little bit of it. And I, of course. And I, I don't do it on purpose. I, I don't do it because, you know, he's that good. It, it just kind of happens that way. And that, that is what I'm trying to do now is be more of myself and, and try to figure out what makes me unique as a broadcaster. But again, he's, he's been such a, a big influence in, in my career. Um, so I, I, I definitely can't say anything about anything about my career without mentioning him uh, you know and from a comedy perspective you find different little foundations or inspirations that lead to you know people that are successful and it's not that you're trying to you're not trying to copy it you're just trying to look at what they do successfully and then you you create your own style and then it matures and kind of moves through that you know and and and, uh, and I moves it through it so seamlessly and I kind of want to pick your brain a little bit about your style you know, just talk to us a little bit. What have been the advantages and disadvantages of calling games at home? I mean, I can only imagine there's definitely some disadvantages for sure, but have there been a couple advantages along the way or, or what's your take on it? So are you asking like being at home and calling the game? Or? Yeah. Yeah. So you're not in the ballpark. You're calling the game. Have you, it, obviously it has to be a, a bit of a, an adjustment period for you. What have you kind of noticed over this last, you know, half year, year or so doing it? So honestly, I, I haven't done that for baseball yet. Um, mm. And I, and I pretty much won't because last year we just did not have a season. Right. There was, there was no minor league baseball in 2020, this upcoming year, I'm probably only going to be doing home games. So I will be at the ballpark for all of those. The small amount of experience that I do have technically calling a game remotely is I freelance a lot. I do a lot of work with UIC. I, I love all the people there. I, I do basketball, softball, uh, baseball, volleyball. I do sideline for men's basketball. It's, it's a great time, a lot of great experience. Um, I do some work for Northern Illinois, but I also do some freelance for Loyola. And I did a couple of volleyball matches there where I'm sitting in the basketball arena and I am looking at a screen and that's where the volleyball broadcast is. It's not fun. I mean, it's you got to do what you got to do yep. and you understand it. 
Um, but there are some companies that were having their broadcasters do the games remotely even before COVID. So it's, it's not like, you know, we're reinventing the wheel. Um, and it's kind of a good trait or at least a good experience to have under your belt in case it ever becomes a situation where you get put in front of again. And I, I think it very well, very well will be because companies are going to realize that it's a, just a better financial opportunity to not send the broadcaster, which stinks, which, okay, it sucks. It's a podcast that sucks. Yes. Um, but it's, it's just the reality of it. Um, I, I guess the main thing is just still try to feel like you're there because that's the only way the viewer or the listener is going to feel like they are there. Um, the one time I, I was doing a game and I couldn't hear the crowd noise and that, that just drove me nuts, but it was, it was just part of the, it was a technical difficulty that we had to get around. And, um, and that was it. Now for the people that were doing major league baseball games, you know, from their home ballpark while the team was on the road and they were calling it from a game. Yeah. I mean, it, it, they told me about the challenges and it's basically, you know, you're only confined to what the television broadcast gives you. So if, if a play, you know, isn't really showing exactly where it's at, you can't, portray what's going on to the listener at the best of your ability like you normally could I, I think I, I was talking to Len Casper not too long ago and he was talking about I think it was game four of the World Series this past year when Brett Phillips had the walk-off and you know the crazy play in center field and the play at the plate and the throw gets away and he was saying you know if if the broadcasters aren't there because there was a shot where I think the throw got away from home you did there's a cutaway yeah that you're lost I mean, and there's nothing you can do. And unfortunately, I mean, yeah, it's, it sucks for the broadcaster who doesn't get the call, but it's just like, that's a World Series game. Now, luckily, you know, the broadcasters were there, they were able to handle it. But it, it, it is just, uh, I, I hope teams and companies will realize how much more beneficial it is for the overall product that the broadcaster is there. And again, I haven't had to experience it too much. Um, but from what I have, I can see the complications, but I also see how it's possible too. I would certainly hope that they, we, that we kind of maintain that tradition, if I can say it like that, because you're trying to paint a picture out there and the whole concept of live sports is those fans. And you can try and you can cr try and construct and understand, you know, game situation, you know, this tenor, this kind of gets ratcheted up here. You dial it up a little bit here, but I think a lot of times you can kind of take you know, your feet off the crowd a little bit, you know, just think about those, those playoff games where it's game one, right. And it's the first inning. And then the team that hasn't been in the playoffs for 10 years is cheering after strike one, strike two, right. Or maybe yeah. if it's the Atlanta Braves who have been there for 13 years in a row, maybe they're kind of leaning back a little bit in that first inning. And I think that, that, that really plays a big part into the, into the call. And I certainly hope that they would do something like that. Um, I do want to ask you, I asked Wayne the same question. Might be obvious, might be not. What's your favorite inning to call? Do you have a favorite inning? A favorite yeah, time? I, I did hear you ask that question. And that, that's, I'll say that's a very unique and good question. I've never heard it before. Um, and I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I like I like the first because I'm trying to remember what Wayne said too. And again, I'm not trying to answer exactly. Like he, he did. Well, to be fair, he did a little bit of uh, I like them all, but he did kind of sort of hone in a little bit on the first inning. And I, and I, I think people naturally go, well, it's gotta be the ninth inning. It's the end of the game, blah, blah. But I, I would maybe counter and say that I think there's other moments too, where as a fan and as a spectator, I, the sixth, seventh inning, when they open up the bullpen and there's runners on second and third with one out, and that guy comes in from the bullpen and needs to get him out of that inning. 
I think that's when the broadcaster, I, that's when I'm locked into the broadcaster. It's, that's when I'm turning up the volume. You know what I mean? Um, and he, he was talking a lot about that first inning too, because you can kind of set the stage, do a little bit of a narrative. You get to kind of walk everyone through it and introduce them. So it's kind of a, a little bit of a teach their own. I think. I, I do love the first inning because it kind of writes itself. You, you say mm. the lineup, you say the defensive makeup, you talk about the colors of the uniform, you say what kind of day it is, what happened yesterday. Yeah. And the game is obviously the game is always the most important thing, but you know, it's, it's like you basically, you got all your work done. All, all that prep that you go into comes in in the later innings. Uh, but now, now that you pose the question, we talk about it a little bit. Obviously I love the ninth inning too, but then I guess, I guess it's more of extra innings because. Ooh, that's a good call outside the box. Because that, that's when it's mainly about the game. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, if we cough up a run here, now we're put in a real tough situation when we come up to the plate and how did we get here? And what's the drama like? And no one's expecting you to have the best inning in one of the extra innings. So it's, it's kind of just going back to the basics of it's the game and what's going on in the game and, and what's at stake. Um, now, of course, you can get your explosive five run extra inning, and then that just takes all the enjoyment out of a, a tight uh, extra inning game. But, um, and you know, I, I know I'm in the minority with this, but I'm okay. And I kind of like the runner at second rule um only because we got to try it out in the minors two years ago and honestly i saw the benefit of it and it just it just turns the game on like that i mean it, it creates the drama it creates the intensity and i know a lot of people in the majors don't like it and maybe that's the difference maybe because you know it's major league higher stakes um just kind of more drama already but in the minors it just creates it you know it could be a dud of a game it could be five to five and it was you know not great outings by either starter and then you go into extras and oh man they scored a run but you know we do get a runner at second to start the inning so how are we going to answer back so I, I yeah I'll, I'll go outside the box and I'll say extra innings I like the extra inning rule I every single time I'm I watch almost every game and I still kind of forget when they start the inning with a guy on second I always go oh shit uh, <laughs> oh yeah that's right but to the point with the extra innings, you're bringing up such a great point because, man, we, we go on this journey, and baseball is like this, and this is why I love baseball so much, is it's storytelling, right? There's a beginning, middle, and end to it all. And when you get to extra innings, it's 0-0. Zero, zero. More or less, it's let's just start this whole thing over again. Your day, your 3 for 5, your 0 for 4, it kind of means nothing. You could be GOAT or HERO in those moments and in those situations. So that's such a great answer. Now, if you were to talk me into someday in the major leagues, you know, 10 and 11, we play it straight up, and then when you get to twelve, let's let's get this show on the road a little bit. Maybe that's a little bit more of a, a middle ground right there. But again, baseball continues to. I guess my worry is, as we continue to tinker with the game, how long will it take to explain to the casual fan what's going on? Because typically with baseball, you do have to do a lot of explaining to someone that maybe isn't as inundated in the game as probably me and you are. Yeah, I mean, it's. I've heard people say it's a chess match, and and the way the rules are structured, it it kind of is, right? I mean, everyone always talks about how it's it's the timeless sport that you know they don't. There's not a uh, you run out of time, you run out of outs, and there's a reason why there's three strikes for a strikeout, and four balls for a walk, and three outs to half an inning, and nine innings to a game. You know, it just it just goes on and on like that. Um, but yeah, I think. I know, I know everyone's upset about the pace of play and, and I believe it and I get it and I agree. 
Um, and unfortunately, I think I think the only ways to fix it are the least likable changes. The tradition um, breakers, right? I'm with you. The game's got to be two and a half hours long. I mean, let's be honest. I'm with you. I'm with, and, and, hey, if, if we yeah. play a four-hour game in the playoffs, great. Oh, for I, sure. Totally fine with that. Um, but yeah, the, the everyday game has got to stop drawing on. And I... I heard Theo Epstein bring up this idea one time in, in spring training a couple of years ago. And he even said, this will never happen. And I'll tell you why in a minute, but he said, you know, what if we, from the roster, instead of what is it? 13 pitchers, 12 position players. If we made it 12 pitchers, 13 position players, because then you got one less reliever to work with. You're less inclined to make that extra move. The starter has to see the lineup that extra time, probably because you're not going to dip into the bullpen and maybe that opens up the offense and, and starters get touched a little bit more. Is that what we're right, kind of getting right. at? Yeah, probably. But I mean, the main thing is, yeah, that's a step in the right direction. I mean, one less pitcher makes you less inclined to make that extra move. And pitching changes are pretty much one of the biggest reasons of why the game is so slow like Theo Epstein said, the players would never go for it because that takes a job away from pitchers. The players union would never go for that. And I get it. Um, that's, that's a change I think could benefit the game. What about moving the mound back? What about getting the 97 mile an hour fastball for every single pitcher in the game and kind of bringing it back down to that 91, 94 area where I think, you know, when the game was really going great, it was kind of in that area. And those few guys could pump that 96, but 91, 94, probably puts more balls in play yeah i agree i do um but you know how do you do that how do you yeah. are you starting in high school and then are you doing it in college and then oh, are you man. Doing it yeah. in the minor league i mean that's great the point here's the other thing uh john smoltz brought this up on mlb network not too long ago and i love this idea but it, it totally changes the game and it's all right get rid of pitching changes and put timeouts into baseball say you get three timeouts and, and I, I could be butchering up what he said, but I'm pretty sure this is the concept of what he said. Mm -hmm. You get three timeouts. Now, if your starter ends the sixth inning, yeah, you can bring in a new pitcher. That's fine. But if you want to make a pitching change in the middle of an inning, that costs you a timeout. If you want to make a pinch hitter in the middle of an inning, that costs you a timeout. If you want to make a mound visit in the middle of an inning, that costs you a timeout. So you only get three of those in nine innings. I don't know how it would work in extra innings because, again, I don't think this would ever happen. But, again, I think that that forces you to keep that pitcher there and then until it gets to the point, all right, we got we to gotta take this guy out. Let's, let's go in. And, again, I'm not saying, yeah, let's do this right now, but that is a concept I think could totally work. I don't think anyone would go for it, and it would be very difficult to do because you're going to have to start that from, again, Little League, high school, college, you know, like how – how does the game adjust as it grows? Let's take a quick break to talk about our brand new sponsor, Canon Sunglasses. Now, my sunglass history, it's a little checkered. I like to live a funky, fresh lifestyle, but I'm always breaking my sunglasses or I'm buying that $10 cheap pair and then losing them automatically. Well, no more, I say. It is time to make your outdoor experience better with Canon. Canon sunglasses are made exclusively with polarized lenses for optimal clarity. They're made with Japanese optics that make your lenses clearer, lighter, stronger, and Italian handcrafted frames that are impossible 
people to scratch. And let me tell you, these Canon sunglasses, they are absolutely perfect for the golf course. So use the exclusive code CANONCAST15 at Canon.com to receive 15% off your first pair. That's right, CANONCAST15, K-A-E-N-O-N-C-A-S-T-1-5, Canon, clearly better. Now, let's take a quick break to talk about our brand new sponsor, Just Live, a trusted source for high-quality wellness CBD products created by athletes just for you. Now, look, during this crazy time, maybe you're trying to get more sleep. Maybe you're trying to work on your energy. You're trying to protect your immune system. That's why Just Live came out with their brand new CBD gummy line. They have six different flavors, sleep, energy, focus, immunity, calm, and vitamin C. They're vegan and low sugar, plus they're founded by professional athletes, Clay Thompson, Alex Morgan, Travis Pastrana, and Paul Rodriguez, because they wanted to create a CBD product that they could trust and they could stand behind. It is finally here. So if you need support with sleep, focus, energy, stress, or immune health, I highly recommend giving these a try. And right now, if you buy one of their new gummy products, you get one free. That's right. There are six different benefits to choose from instead of just choosing one. Visit JustLive.com and use code SUPPORT to buy one, get one free. That's right. Buy one, get one free of the new gummies in line with the code SUPPORT at JustLive.com. Now, back to the pod. Well, it's a better idea than uh, we're going to count the mound visits. We're going to chalk up all the mound visits, uh, to, you know, at, and I, I don't really think that was really doing it either. They got to cut down on replay, not the amount of times that they do it, but like, let's, let's roll it out, guys. It's a foot and a bag and a glove and a ball. You know what I mean? Let's just, let's shore that up a little bit. They could probably tighten that up. And then the other one is, it's very complicated. This is a big one, so we don't have to do a whole bunch of time on it. But where are you on the shift? Because I, I think we got to do something about the shift because you're just seeing so many balls between the second and first base that should be hits, that should be ovations and cheers for fans that just aren't happening because you got four outfielders out there. Well, no, I'm, I'm very glad you brought this up because this actually was going to be my next point. Um, I, I wrote an article on it a couple of years ago when I was covering the winter meetings in Vegas. Here's the thing about the shift. I, I'm okay with a banning of the shift for the purpose of um, speeding up the pace of play. And here's why. Baseball players now are standing in the batter's box waiting for their pitch. Like that's what they learn. You wait for your pitch. Because nowadays, a walk is just as good as a hit, sometimes even better. Because a walk not only puts you on base, but it damages the pitcher because he threw at least four pitches. This is what baseball players are learning when they're, again, high school, college, minors. Be patient. Wait for your pitch. Wait for the pitch that you can swing with authority on. Now, even if they do connect on authority, they put it on the ground, the defense is there waiting for it. It's okay. We have an eight pitch at bat and it turns into a rocket on the ground that turns into a, a ground out, a four, three ground out with the guy in shallow right field. Again, that's just, that's just the way the game is bet. I mean, I, I don't know when we got to that point, but I, I guess it, it, it went to, okay, well, starters are the most dominant pitchers in the staff. And the best way to beat the opposing team is to get to their bullpen. Let's knock out the starter and get to their bullpen because this is a series. It's not a game. It's a series. So if we do this in the first game and we hurt their bullpen, then we're setting ourselves up for a better chance to win the following days. So, I mean, it's a whole thing and it, it it's all, it, it, it it's, it's tied not on all. a string. Yeah, no, I mean, it yeah. leads, it leads on a, it's a wave, especially in I the mean, baseball season. There's so much correlation with it all. And uh, unfortunately this is where it's gotten us to now where pitchers are incredibly dominant and hitters just wait for that one mistake or that one pitch that they can clobber. And that's why 
walks, strikeouts, and home runs dominate the game because <laughs> that's just what's overpowering everything. So I, I'm okay with banning the shift for that reason. And I don't know. I mean, now, now that we lay out all my ideas, which I'm sure <laughs> a lot of people are, you know, pulling out their hair of right now, but I don't know, maybe that's the best situation to move the game along a little bit more. And, uh, you know, then pitchers are, are trying to, are trying to get weak contact more than pitching to where the shift is. I don't know, but I, I, I totally see why the sh- banning the shift is plausible. Well, and here was, here's what I'll say. It's almost not even banning the shift. It's just every the, the counter to it is you can't tell another team how to play defense, right? Well, there are certain rules in certain sports. We have what's called an illegal defense in three seconds in the paint and basketball. We have like the neutral zone and the blue line in terms of offense and how you can, where can have the puck on the hockey rink. And then you also in the NFL, you know, you still have to declare if you're a receiver, right? You can't have 10 offensive linemen on the field. So this is what I'm going with. If you're a pitcher and you have to keep your foot on the rubber when you deliver the baseball, if you're called an infielder, you have to have one foot on the infield by the time he let goes of the ball. After he lets go of the ball, run as fast as you can to the outfield. And, hey, if it's a 12-pitch at bat, that second baseman and third baseman might be getting a little tired. But that's the decision you make as a defensive player, right? If you want to declare yourself as an outfielder, that's great, but don't touch the infield. You know what I mean? And so I, I think that there's a really easy way to do it. It's just through declaration of what you want defensively. But you got to abide by those rules. You can't be sneaking it, it, it's all the same stuff. It all comes back to the base and all comes back to where you start from. I feel like in baseball, and I think that's a really easy way to do it where that second baseman has to have his feet on the dirt. Once that ball is released, if he wants to go early and they want to look at the replay, go for it. You know, you can call it a balk, you can call it a whatever. Um, that's a punishment that maybe would slow down the game, but I think it would certainly speed up the game. Now you got a second baseman running and trying to, you know what I mean? And dive at the same time. I don't know. It adds, it adds an element of action to it that I don't think I'd be that upset about. No, well, you're absolutely right. And I'm glad you're calling out the people that are, are so adamant that, oh, it, it breaks the, the, the regular rules of baseball. Oh, give me defense that? or give me death. Come on. Yeah, I mean, not only that, like, yes, you're absolutely right. Keep at least one foot on the infield dirt. But, I mean, the fact is there's bases. Like, the, the markings yeah. are already there. People are worried they're going to draw circles on the infield dirt or in the outfield. It's like, dude, you got two people on the left, two people on the right. Don't cross. That's it. And I, I don't understand why that's such an outrageous thing to, well, to And the uh, casual fan that's like, learn how to hit the opposite way can honestly can take, a okay. walk, can take a walk because these guys have spent their entire lives working on this craft, seeing thousands and thousands of pitches. And now they're up there with the spin rate and 97 mile an hour fastballs. And they're just trying to put a, put a good swing on it take your golf clubs out there and you tell me, you know, you can direct every single ball the way you want to go. No, you just try and put a good swing on it. These are professionals and they have to do that. So hitting the ball the opposite way is this old school, dumb thing that we need to put to rest in, in my opinion. I mean, it's a good part of the game, but like Kyle Schwarber trying to like hit a grounder down the third baseline. I just, it's just not a part. It's, it's not the game. It's not the game guys. They got to let it go. And you know what? Like, imagine, imagine if Cubs fans saw Kyle Schwarber with like this awkward swing, trying to go oppo with a pitch outer third, and then, oh, what kind of swing is that? While well, he was doing what you were trying to have him do all this time, I mean, you said it best: take a walk. That that's what the batter is trying to do. They're either trying to punish a pitch or take a walk, and that's yes. that's where the problem comes in. So it's it's a double-edged sword. And again, I think I don't think one way is going to fix it. And I think if you're going to fix it, it's gonna 
it's going to take a lot of pissing off of some people with some severe rule change. I uh, want to ask you one more about uh, play-by-play style. We just had Carlos Rodon almost throw a perfecto. Ended up getting the no-no. Maybe it's already happened to you before, so forgive me if I'm wrong, but in your dream of dreams or in your scenario, which do you think would probably – which one would you pick? Door number one, walk-off grand slam or calling a no-hitter slash perfecto? Okay, well, uh, is the walk-off grand slam – are we down by three? Is that Correct. Is- yeah, okay. correct. The bags get packed, so the inning still builds up the same way it would maybe a no-no, but obviously just a different tenor and call. Okay, because I'm not trying to sound pretentious whatsoever. I'm the broadcaster. I had no help onto the field whatsoever. I've called a walk-off grand slam. I've called a perfect game. Yes! I've called, I've called four no-hitters, <laughs> not including the perfect game. I'm, I'm Again, I'm incredibly lucky. I had nothing to do with it whatsoever. Um, but the grand slam I called was, you know what? It was a walk-off grand slam in the bottom of the tent that broke a scoreless game. Oh. Um, and that was actually up in Traverse city. You know, man, it's just, it's nothing beats the perfect game. Nothing does. I, I called one and it was, it was three days before the end of the regular season happened to like one of the best kids in the world, part of the Arizona Diamondbacks system. His name was Connor Gray. I'll never forget it. He used a hundred pitches, um, it was just, it was in one of the, one of the roughest ballparks to be in at the time and in beautiful Clinton, Iowa. And, uh, it was, it was hotter than heck, but everyone knew what was going on. Uh, there was drama because the pitching coach and manager didn't know if they should take him out. Not only that, they were worried about warming a guy up because they didn't want to hear, have him hear the pop of the mitt right behind while he's trying to complete this perfect game. And, uh, I'll just never forget it because when I, that, in the bottom of the ninth, with two outs, my hand was shaking, my leg was shaking. I called it. I felt pretty confident about my call. I go down to the clubhouse and I'm like, "Hey, man, congrats! I got MLB Network looking to talk to you. You know, can I get your number?" And he's like, "Yeah, sure, man, no problem." And he shakes my hand like nothing. I'm like, "Dude, how am I more nervous than you? You just threw a perfect game, and I'm like, I'm the one shaking in my boots right now." And uh, and then I told him the next day, I'm like, "Listen, man." I know this is huge for you and it is, and it should be, and it shouldn't be bigger than for anyone else. But just so you know, broadcasters dream of that day to call a perfect game as well. And there's nothing that we can do that affects you. So the fact that you completed it, thank you so much. You have no idea how much that meant to me, even though I am the last person you're thinking of while you're trying to complete this. But I hope my call did justice because it was such a big part of my life and my career. And he was super appreciative. And we're, we still talk every here and there uh, since that day. And actually there's, there's been a couple of times I've been on podcasts telling this story and he's responded, dude, I still love your call. Like, like out of nowhere. I'm like, come on, this is so cool. This is so cool. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, nothing, nothing, nothing beats a perfect game. That's amazing. God, man, four no hitters, one perfect game, one walk off grand slam. That's incredible. What kind of what? So how did you handle it? Are you a, are you a traditionalist where you don't mention the P.E.R.F.E.C.T. word? Um, did you find different ways to kind of coyly bring it around or you're just like around seventh or eighth inning? I got to tell the viewers what's going on here, because it, it's such a it's a weird game, right? Where uh, Rodan the other night. I'm, I'm a traditionalist. I'm not going to say it out loud. My wife is like, why are you glued to the TV like this? And you like, 
I'm like, something special is happening. And she's like, what's so special? They're up eight, nothing or whatever. And I'm like, you know, so where, where are you on that? I say it. I say yeah. it all the time. Yes. And, why not? You're not breaking I, it. You're, you're good luck. You're a good luck charm. It's all the people <laughs> yeah, that should right? say it, you're, you're good. You're good to yeah. go. Well, hey, I mean, everything's circling back with Wayne, but uh, the first the first no hitter I called for the team I was broadcasting for uh, was with Wayne. It was in 2014, and he said from the first inning on, a no hitter is being thrown right now. And I mean, we we kept at it, and then we threw the Cougars threw a no hitter, and I'm like, okay, there we go. Like I I never need to believe in this stupid hoax ever again. Um, so I never did. And yeah, I said, Connor Gray is perfect through five. Connor Gray is perfect through six. Connor Gray is working on a perfect game. And I got tweet after tweet after tweet and he completed the perfect game. So yeah, so I, I, I've got nothing. I mean, yes, it, it goes back to, you got to inform the listener. Um, but I don't know. I, I just like, of course, the art of broadcasting is finding different ways to um, describe things and finding different ways to put things in a certain way, but a perfect game it happens so seldomly that why not say it, you know, because it is. And I, I want to glue the listener. I want to keep them there. And, and you know what? If they're like, I can't believe this guy just said perfect game. This guy's going to blow it. You know what? He's going to keep li listening to me to see if I really jinxed it or not. <laughs> yeah, he and wants to yell at you on the TV. And you bring up a great point. Why downplay it? For Hawk Harrelson's uh, flaws and foibles, and obviously we make fun of him and cheesy, call your sons, call your daughters, call your friends, call your neighbors. It's one of my favorite calls, yep. you know, at least of the 21st century or maybe in my lifetime, just because he's just tapping into that moment of, hey, this is special. I'm here to explain to you why it's special and why you need to stick around. And how do you do that if you're like, you know, you're skirting around it, you're like flirting with it, you know what I mean? And you're just not coming out and doing it. Yep. No, I, I totally agree. And actually, wow, that's that's a great way to put it. You're flirting with it, because what do we say? He's flirting with a no-hitter. He's 18 up, 18 down. He has not given up one hit. You know, like we're just kind of like yeah. sort of, you know, teasing it a little bit. Come on. Um, yeah, but no, again, it's it's just it, it was such a, a cool thing to be a part of. And yeah, I'm I'm totally spoiled um with with the things I've been able to call. Uh, I have no idea why it's happened to me. Um, and who knows, maybe I'll never do another one for the rest of my career. Cause that's typically how it goes. But, but yeah, man, I just, I'm, I'm a full believer in letting the listener know what's going on and, and not trying to downplay it at all. Joe brand. We got one more question for you. We were going to hit some Cubs and some white Sox stuff, but we're only two weeks into the season. And I hope at some point we can bring you back when the season's a little bit deeper and we got a little bit more of a feel for these squads. My final question for you is we're coming up on the anniversary of April 30th is the day that Derek Rose tore his ACL. Uh, it'll be nine years to the day of that happening. I still remember where I was when that happened. I'm sure you do as well. But my question for you is, and this doesn't have to be a Chicago athlete, but if you could take one athlete and watch him injury-free, like the injury never happened to him beginning to end of his career, you know, nothing's cut short. He gets 10 to 15 years. Which athlete would you pick to maybe see what they got if, uh, if nothing ever got in their way? So are, are we eliminating Derrick Rose from this? No, it can, it can, no, it can totally be Derrick. Cause I mean, uh, he's, I mean, he's right up there. I mean, can, can anyone top what could have happened with the, what if of Derrick Rose? Yeah. I mean, well, the baseball purist in me, like originally I think of Mark Pryor and I, I wonder, you know, where, mm. where that Cubs team goes, but again, I mean, maybe their best shot was 2003 and Mark Pryor was clearly healthy. Um, so I, I think that's more of just where his career could have gone, but 
Yeah, man. I, I mean, the Derrick Rose situation, it's crazy too. Luol Dang just came out saying that uh, the Bulls probably win a championship if Derrick Rose does not get hurt. I mean, Ooh, he goes, do you, do you buy that? He down, yeah, he goes down talking about just the quality of the team and then players leaving afterwards after things didn't happen. But I mean, they just kind of had it all. And uh, I mean, that that was right in the middle of my college career. And obviously we were all huge Blackhawks fans. And, you know, we found this revival of the city with the Blackhawks, but then all of a sudden the Bulls are are starting to get really good. And, uh, you know, they've got the the dragon of LeBron James. And all of a sudden we're, we're not caring about the Hawks in 2011. We're caring about how far the Bulls can go. And it, it, it Derek Rose was just so explosive. I mean, it was everything. It was about him stealing the shows, him incorporating the entire offense. It was Stacy King's calls and then going to bed, watching the highlights of what Derrick Rose was able to do. And then, oh yeah, to top it all off, he's from Chicago. And this is a, a hometown kid doing this and, and trying to pump back all the life into the bulls that we haven't seen since Michael Jordan. So, I mean, it's, it's gotta be him just because of how much fun it was to watch that team, how, just, just the optimism of, of the whole, the whole thing. I mean, the Joe bench mob, was, yeah, Joe, all the, yeah, stuff, the bench yeah. mob, Hibbs. I mean, everyone loved him. Uh, uh, my favorite Joakim Noah story. I know we're talking about Rose, but my no, I want Joakim, it. Anything Joakim, give it to me. Yeah. Uh, he's on record for saying something along the lines of he was, he was getting up early. I think maybe to, to hitch the plane ride to whatever road trip they were going. And it's early. It's like four in the morning or something. And he's getting into his car and, and the, uh, the garbage truck pulls by and it stops outside his place. You know, they're doing the totes and the guy goes, Hey, you're Joe King Noah. And he's like, yeah, man, how's it going? He's like, dude, go bulls, man. He's like, you're awesome. I love you. I love the bulls. You guys are great. And Joe King Noah's like, yeah, man. Yeah. And he's like all amped up at four in the morning. And he goes, I play for that guy. That's who I play for. And that's, that's just a, a small piece of why everyone loves Joe King Noah. And uh, hey, Joe Keem goes on that list too. If his knees yeah. and his body don't betray him, is there a world where maybe we're thinking about retiring his jersey or something? I mean, a unique player that wouldn't have had the stats, but man, Joe Keem Noah as a Chicago Bull, one of my favorite all time Bulls. And we got a lot of all time Bulls to pick from, right? Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, I mean, just, just everything from his career, from being drafted from Florida and wearing that crazy white suit. And everyone's like, who the heck is this guy? The Bulls drafted. And then turned out to be such just a, a great team player and such a, a great personality. And he, he was great for that, you know, Cleveland rivalry. And uh, that that's the other thing that's kind of a shame. You know, what what kind of rivalry would the Bulls and Cavs and the Bulls and Heat would have had if, if Rose was healthy? Would it would have been a lot more hard-nosed? And, uh, you know, because those probably would have been the top two teams at the time going after it year after year. So it's, it is a bummer. And, uh, you know, after, after that last dance documentary, I, I ended up watching the Derek Rose documentary again. And it just like brought me back. It's like, man, it, it, there was just so much vibe in the city to see what the bulls were going to do and Derek Rose. And, uh, it, it's, it's a shame how it all, how it all ended that way. But, um, you know, who knows, who knows what happens later on in, in Derek Rose's career, maybe he'll retire with the bulls and, you know, have somewhat of a, a happy ending, but everyone still just wishes and, and hopes what could have been. Yeah, I hope so too. Solid basketball player still, right? For the Knicks and playing yep. for Tibbs and not that much has changed, I suppose. Yeah, with D Rose too, it's just like, man, when they went to that Easter Conference final, they got there and then there was that point in the series where LeBron was like, I'm just going to guard, I'm going to guard Poo. I'm going to guard D Rose the rest of the series. And, you know, it was almost like, man, 
this is the first of many. This was like our Detroit Pistons series. This was us yeah. bang, as you mentioned, banging heads against them. And yeah, what a great what if, right? Of LeBron stays on Miami for a couple more years. He leaves. Does he go back to Cleveland? I mean, let's just say he does, but that Bulls team stays intact right there. More, I guarantee you more stars would have wanted to play with that team. It wouldn't have just been Carlos Boozer or Bust. You would think a healthy Derrick Rose would have probably brought in a healthy Carmelo Anthony somewhere along the way too, who eventually said no to the Bulls. And yeah, just a, just a joy, to, joy to watch. And clearly you mentioned he's from Chicago. And that was a really big selling point for D Rose back in the day. The other one I threw out, uh, I was talking to uh, Mark Grody earlier from 670, the score. I threw out Bo Jackson. That's, what that's if, really what, good one. you know, 10,000 rushing yards and 400 home runs. What if and it's because it, it's an interesting conversation because, you know, do, do you want to see the athlete not get injured for their own individual career or because what they could have done for a team? Mm. And honestly, I, th- I think that's why the Derrick Rose answer works best because it's both. I mean, you're, you're talking about a 22 year old MVP and a team with a lot of promise, so well coached, and uh, they're, they're unable to, to really hit the ground running once Derrick Rose goes down. So it's, that's what's so unfortunate about it. But Bo Jackson's a real good one. Uh, again, like my mind, again, it's Chicago biased, but, but Mark Pryor. But, but again, like the, his best year was 03 with the Cubs, and that was probably their best opportunity to win. So, you know, I don't know what, what the 06 Cubs are doing, probably not much. Yeah, prior Kerry Wood, growing up, my favorite player was Andre Dawson, and my uncles and fathers would tell me about how his knees were ravaged by playing on the turf in Montreal. And if oh, if only, if only he hadn't done, you know, he would have been a hell of a player and all this other stuff. Mr. Joe Brand, a play-by-play man for the Kane County Cougars, also works for WGN, does WGN's legal face-off. Joe Brand, thank you so much for coming on the pod, man. Had a great conversation, man. Hope you can come back and do it again, but please let the listeners know how they can either follow you on Twitter, uh, stay uh, stay abreast of all your stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore brand one. Uh, yeah, I, I moderate the Legal Face Off podcast. It's, it's hosted by Rich Lenkov and Tina Martini. They're two fantastic hosts, and I have a lot of fun doing that. As Yeah, you were on the show. It was, it was a real good time. Uh, also co-host the Blackhawks podcast for WGN called Blackhawks 720. So feel free to like, subscribe, and uh, you know listen to that. But uh, yeah, man, no, I had a blast. A lot of good questions, a lot of fun. So yeah, please have me back anytime that uh, you, you, you or I are available, please. Yeah, absolutely, Joe. And real quick, yes or no, Blackhawks going to get that fourth seed? Are they going to, I mean, they're in it with Nashville right now. The season's kind of on the line with this three-game series. Are they going to do it? I know, two more games left against Nashville. I don't know, it's not looking too bright. They've proved me wrong already. They've proved me wrong before, but it's not looking too good right now. I know, a really pleasantly surprising season for the first couple months and the schedule kind of bit him in the ass and now and now it's kind of getting a little tough. But we'll, we're still rooting for him. We're still rooting for the, for the Blackhawks and obviously still rooting for Jonathan Taves to get happy and healthy and can come back next year. And then we'll kind of see what we got as these young guys continue to grow up and get better. This was Believe in Betting Chicago with Joey Christopoulos. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, everyone. Today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline.ag, Canaan Sunglasses, and Just Live CBD. Make sure you check out all those wonderful products. We got more pods coming up the rest of the week and into next week before the NFL draft. Until then, be well, be safe. Please be good to each other. We will talk soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.